Hello and welcome to another podcast of Father and Joe. I'm Joe Rocky here with Father Boniface Hicks. And Father, at our last conversation, it started with the assumptions that I had as, as you as a priest, and some of them were accurate and some of them weren't. And it ended up being about how to become closer in opening up the relationship that we all have with God. And as I was thinking about that, you know, we've done multiple episodes about converting people and and trying to spread the faith through ministry in, in different ways of doing this. And I don't know why it took me so long, but at the end of the day, it just kind of clicked that essentially what we're doing is selling. And there's a lot of people in this world, a lot, that flat out cannot sell, period. It, it's, it's a very hard life skill. It requires a lot of resiliency and a lot of things that, you know, got to be tested a lot. And a lot of people would rather just do an easier job with less resistance. I get that. I'm not criticizing people who are not salespeople. But that being said, some of the things that make people sell effectively is that the buyer, whatever the product is, needs to have a need for it or a desire for it now. Sometimes it's a direct need. Sometimes it's a want. But it's a now issue. There, there's some sense of urgency. I need to get that big t- the TV before the Super Bowl. You know, I, I need to go get dinner for this dinner party or whatever. You know, there's there's a need for why we're purchasing this thing, and it doesn't even matter how important it is. It can sometimes be, you know, a, a massive house purchase, and I'm going to spend thirty years, thousands of dollars a month of it. And some people go through a very methodical process. I'm going to have it in this neighborhood. I want this much bettage, whatever. And some people go, I'm getting kicked out for whatever reason. I need to make a solution and answer now. So very big life decision in terms of buying a house or, or living somewhere and no forethought. And this all is my world dealing in real estate. And my thought was, you know, nothing's really more important than what we're doing in our lives in our day-to-day life you know we we classify this as putting ourselves in autopilot and people just think like oh i'm doing all right but how do we get people going from as you said before semi-regular semi-engaged catholics kind of onto it that they have enough remembrance of what the faith were to know what the really bad things were like murdering people and you know randomly just being evil and knowing that they're not doing that. So therefore I'm doing good enough. And what I kind of want to discuss is how to get the urgency in someone who's so-called doing it good enough to have them step into a place of where our last conversation was of wanting to grow deeper into the faith that essentially is a limitless field of riches and that's where I'm coming from in today's episode. Hopefully that introduction makes sense of what we're talking about here and we can go from there. Yeah, well, it's a great question, Joe. And I, you know, it's a question that's obviously very pressing to me. There's, um, it's the, it's the space that I, I, I live in the most, I suppose, in terms of evangelization. It's the kind of thing I, I run into the most, uh, and in our area, you know, in the greater Pittsburgh area, probably the reason that people are uh, lukewarm in the sense of minimally participating, just Sunday mass, mm, half the time, let's say, you know, 
a lot of people who go, you know, as long as it's convenient a couple times a month, it's uh, it's not a real commit. I mean, it's a commitment. They're not giving it up, but they don't really, anyway, a couple times a month. Um, you know, I think a lot of times it's the complacency that comes from self-sufficiency, which comes from a lot of affluence or enough affluence. Life is good enough. And uh, there isn't a felt need in the same way. Also, life is good enough that they're not asking big questions. So people are not asking about the meaning of life. They're not asking about the, um, you know, why why evil happens. They're they're not asking the the big questions that you can't come up with answers for by reading Forbes magazine. Um, they're just kind of living life. And life isn't bad enough that it's pushing them to ask those questions or it's pushing them to find solutions that are beyond their own capacity. You know, maybe there's a feeling of, well, you know, it's, uh, I can, I can buy my way out of this. I can pay the experts. I can figure out the problem. Um, there's just a lack of desperation, a, a lack of, uh, feeling, uh, well, uh, uh, too much self-sufficiency. I was trying to turn that into a lack of insufficiency, I suppose. But, um, and that's, you know, so then you have to, then the cell is, it's better this way. And uh, to be honest, I, I'm probably, I probably have one of the more compelling witnesses for that because I, I'm the guy who, you know, I mean, I had job offers coming out of Penn State 25 years ago for $55,000 starting position. I didn't really have any needs. I had a good family. I was well-loved. I was successful. Uh, people liked me. I had friends. I had sort of everything that somebody might want. And uh, I, I fortunately uh, had an invitation to come to know Jesus. And there was somebody who was willing to introduce him to me. Now, that was a long process. I mean, we met weekly for like nine months before I was willing to take a step. And that's when I was a bit more pliable as a college student. I was more open to things. I at least had some sense of uh, not knowing everything in the universe, although uh, I probably thought I knew about 98% of what was in the universe at that point in my life. But uh, I, you know, I had some openness to, to being introduced to something more. And uh, But then I could come back to Penn State as a priest and say, listen, I studied computer science as an atheist, and now I'm studying computer science as a priest. And I can tell you, it's a lot better with Jesus. And so I can witness to that. And that's some of what you and I have talked about. I mean, it's life is better with virtue. Life is better with interior freedom. Life is better knowing that we are loved. Life is better without the fear of failure threatening to destroy everything we have because we haven't pinned our whole identity on our success. We've pinned our identity on God's love for us. And so we have something to fall back on. And so for somebody who's kind of well-adjusted and successful, there is a sell, but you know, then you have to get the person to listen to you and, and uh, actually lead them through that. Uh, now, another way to, to do that, that is very powerful for people who are, who are open at least, is something like a retreat. Retreats can be can take people out of their normal environment, and if they're with people who are willing to be vulnerable and to share uh, personally about their own journey, for example, uh, 
then that can facilitate a real encounter with the Lord. And when somebody is in that position and then, you know, has kind of always gone to mass more or less, but then goes away for a weekend, encounters normal people that they respect who can also say, Jesus changed my life. And uh, by the way, here's the story. And, you know, they get pretty vulnerable about it. And then uh, the, the retreatant gets some time in front of the Blessed Sacrament, gets some time for prayer, gets a chance to share some things in the small group, gets a chance to voice some doubts, some concerns, some fears, things that uh, we're not pressing in the, in the daily grind, but when they take a step away from it and they look at life through a bigger lens, they see, well, these are pretty quest- pressing questions that I never resolved. And then it gives them a chance to ask bigger questions about what the meaning of life is and to reflect on their impending death and some things like that. So I think those sorts of retreat experiences can also be very helpful. And that's what something like Alpha or Christ Life does. They, they introduce some of the bigger questions. They do that in the context of a group. And then they take a, a day apart to uh, have some deeper reflection and time for prayer about all of that. So I think those are a couple of means for selling it to people who don't have serious challenges. When people have serious challenges, they tend to open up a bit more to, they they really feel that life is beyond their control. And so they reach to a power that is far beyond their own power in order to help them with that. And so crises are certainly a ripe opportunity for people to meet God and start depending on him in a concrete way. And, um, so uh, those are those are kind of the space that I work in. Uh, you know, there's a whole other realm. There's a there's a certain kind of availability and simplicity of somebody who lives on the streets or somebody who's very close to um, that level. When I when I've done evangelization in the inner city of Detroit, for example, people are very open to prayer. They're very open to sharing their experience. Very open to uh, being brought to Jesus and. Um, so there's there's a whole other culture there in some of that inner city work that uh, is different than what I normally deal with. Yeah, and and there's certainly a a great starting point there. Of it's also a little bit of a tension that you know I I have I guess in my life trying to figure this thing out. As you said that you know on the one hand I have this notion that I never want to make my problems someone else's problems. So to a certain real extent that requires me to have some form of self-sufficiency, you know, I I have taken care enough of my own life that I'm not going to become a burden upon someone else's. And I think that that's a, an important element of life. That might be a wrong starting point. I acknowledge that, but that that's one of the things that I think like, you know, I don't want to have, you know, the, the stress of, you know, normal work stuff, you know, this tenant, the eviction is going horribly and I got to now go to three different judges and what should have been done six months ago now is going to take three more months. Um, and that's all not fun and happy and obviously costly um, in, in a lot of ways and obviously economically, but stress. But I think that it's part of my duty or job, if you will, to not let that bleed into other relationships of my life. Like my son doesn't need to know that that work wasn't awesome because a judge didn't tell me the answer I wanted to hear or, or whatever the case may be. You know, I didn't get the sale as big as I thought it would be, or maybe not even at all. And that is kind of the, the tension that I have in this conversation. 
because I do think that that's my job to be self-sufficient. Whereas your essentially starting point is self-sufficiency is the, I guess, off-ramp that a lot of people take that gets them out of the realm of growing into being more spiritually um, evolved. So I want to address that because I think that I'm not the only person who has that mentality. No, for sure. It's, uh, you know, there's a natural progression when we're, when we're little, we feel the, well, if we're little and we're well loved, then we really soak in the love of our parents and we naturally grow and become a little stronger and we have an urge for independence. And then in some ways, it seems like that urge for independence goes, uh, you know, takes on a life of its own. And then we want to be independent from everyone for everything. And, uh, and especially if we experience betrayal and uh, maybe in the big sense of somebody who promised and then is unfaithful, uh, maybe in the small sense of somebody who just doesn't show up when we really need them uh, or, or just, you know, uh, not having anybody to commit to us in the way that we really need. So uh, then it makes us not want to open up and trust anyone. And we're very, we become very reluctant to lean on anyone to ask for help. Uh, and then we start to think if I could just do everything for myself, then I wouldn't ever have to suffer the pain of rejection, betrayal, neglect, uh, abandonment. And, and as those wounds, and, and all of us have them to one degree or another, uh, but it, as we allow ourselves to act out of those wounds, we, we solidify them a little bit more, I think. And so then we can get stuck in some of those places. And, um, and, and then, you know, and that, that has its own, it's sort of, we, uh, we, we wither a bit, you know, we implode a bit because we actually are made for, for relationships. And it's as essential as food and air and water. I mean, relationships, affirming love, real connections, self-gift, uh, entrusting ourselves to another. If we're not doing that, everything gets, gets halted up, gummed up. Everything stops working. And, and we start to feel that. We can run on fumes for a certain amount of time in, in closing ourselves off from people and being really self-sufficient. Now, often what we do is we find a bit of a middle ground where I need some people and I have some relationships, but uh, I don't give my whole self. I don't really take the risk uh, anymore. I've sort of found a, a coasting, a place that I can coast and not experience too much pain. I have what I need, um, but at the same time, not have to risk myself too much and being vulnerable with somebody else. And, and that's the place of kind of lukewarmness or complacency, or that's a place that we can really stagnate. And, and that's where when God takes away something we thought that we had control over, uh, then that can really kind of bring us to our senses and help us to realize, no, you don't, you, you need other people and, and you need community and you need God. And you can't just do all of this on your own. That's usually, well, it's always a painful realization, always a painful realization and, and can become a very difficult time in our lives. But we can do well to lean into that, to, to check ourselves. Where is it that I have an attitude of self-sufficiency? Where is that my mentality? Where are the places what, that I wish I could do more for myself so I wouldn't need people as much? 
where are those places that I uh, just o- only depend on myself? And are there ways to let other people into those places proactively, not just when they fall apart, but, but already now? I think that's a good challenge for ourselves. Yeah, from a business standpoint, I'm actually actively doing the opposite quite regularly. There's too much I'm doing. How can we figure out a way to to have other people help us here? Um, but but as you were saying about the the child's need for independence, uh, two thoughts came to me here, and the first being that in the realm of spirituality, um, when we look at it in, in the ter- terms of timelessness or eternity, as is the word the church uses. How can you say that being even 80 years old is mature and not a child? Um, there, there, there really is no way to, to say that. And I think of an example that my niece, who is a child, said to me, when I grow up, I'm only having candy for dinner. And some of these mentalities that you're describing, I think when we look at what mature spirituality is, would be that black and white to any lay person that just heard that sentence going that, well, we'll tell you when you're four years old that you're allowed to have candy for dinner when you're an adult, but hopefully along the way, you'll realize that that's not the greatest idea ever. Um, And and, and you'll go through some experiences there. So I, I bring this up to say that I think that a lot of us that get caught in that, that stagnation, as you said, lose the the sight of growth is possible and probably necessary but because it's not smacking you in the face it's not real you know i don't need to run fast anymore i'm not in high school i'm never in a race you know i'm not trying to tackle someone or, or not get tackled it's I, I can go fast enough to get from my car to get to my house in a way where i don't get that much rain on my head when it's raining you know it's <laughs> good enough for me um but i i, I can see how I'm not this like running wise. I'm nowhere in, near in the same condition that I was when I was doing it all the time. And I think that that is something that, that people also have is they don't see themselves digressing spiritually. You, know, you, you can see someone, especially when they're old and sick, literally withering their strength away. You know, they, they become small and frail, but the reality is, is that happen, can happen every single day to someone who's not working out or not doing anything to push themselves. And um, I just wanted to leave that as, as a final thought for you to, to clarify as, as we end the week here. Well, and, you know, there, uh, the signs of diminishing health are not uh, completely obvious you can deteriorate a bit without realizing you're deteriorating but you get to a certain point and you go hmm i've deteriorated and i think the same is true spiritually you know there's uh we can start to decline internally and then we get to a point that there is a kind of hollowness in a person's eyes that there is a a, a lack of of fulfillment and a, and a kind of purposelessness in life that there's an uh, less ability to engage in meaningful relationships, and it becomes harder to be to be vulnerable and to experience intimacy, um, where we find ourselves perhaps more uh, more prone to uh, to anger or resentments or um, uh, sort of negative uh, thought patterns that are you know catastrophizing or are developing uh, suspicions or resentments against. You know, I think there are some signs like that if we know what we're looking for, 
um, we've gotten pretty good at noticing the health signs. There's been so much work on uh, things that can be treated well if diagnosed early, and we've worked pretty hard to identify what is the the blood pressure. You know, I went to a parish recently, and they they had donut fellowship Sunday and free blood pressure testing going on <laughs> after mass. Uh, and as the pastor joked, just make sure you get your blood test pressure tested before you have the coffee and donut. So uh, in any event, you know, we've, we figured out these kinds of easy, easily accessed metrics that we can use for health. Um, I, I think there are some for spirituality that we, that we use that we, and that we could use. And that's part of what confession does. That's part of what regular spiritual direction does. That's part of what, you know, I mean, just tracking, having a commitment in our spiritual life does. Um, and that's part of what our, you know, closest relationships do for us also, you know, you seem to have lost your joy or you seem to be awfully grumpy lately, or you seem to be just sort of listless. Um, you don't have the sparkle in your eye that you once had. Um, you know, we say these things to each other and, uh, and that can be a, a little, uh, line of defense, a little red flag for people that maybe their, their spiritual life is diminishing. And something for us all to do in a self-evaluation as, as we're moving forward here in the upcoming week. So we thank everyone for being with us, clicking subscribe, and we will be with you again here next week.